Though this past year has and continues to come with its struggles and difficulties, it's also taught us about our incredible ability to adapt to circumstances. And that's what Peg and I have chosen to embrace. So to those of you listening right now, I want to personally invite you to check out our virtual yoga shala, where we have been experimenting and exploring the different ways we can share this multifaceted experience of yoga with you, our community, from short form classes to month long courses. To view what's coming up, visit ashtangadispatch.com backslash online dash courses. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up to our email list where we share writings, interviews, upcoming offerings, and so much more. Thanks for listening and your continued support. Welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. I'm Peg Mulqueen, your host, along with Megan Powell. You know, it's been a year since I was in Australia and able to spend time live and in person with both Megan and today's guest and very good friend, Santina Giardina Chard. Santina is an Ashtanga yoga teacher living on the Gold Coast. Wild, impassioned, and blazing with enthusiasm and emotion, Santina is one of those people who knows what it means to step into the fire and let burn what needs to burn. And she'll lead you through as well, if you let her. Because sometimes we need to feel the burn before we'll loosen our grip and open ourselves up to something new. Often it's the destruction that clears the space and sets us free which is a little of what this pandemic has done within the yoga community, you know, by forcing us to practice mostly on our own. No doubt it's been an intense year, but it's also been incredibly liberating. As if we're finally able to let go of the dogmatic beliefs and hierarchical systems that have been threatening to define us for a long time. Many of us are finding our way home in more ways than one. And rather than being told how to practice, we are learning to feel our way through for ourselves. And that's what today's conversation is really about. Feeling. Finding the courage to feel for ourselves what's real. But before we jump in, please be forewarned that this episode contains language not suitable for young or even sensitive ears. So if you need to, go ahead and hit pause now and go grab your earbuds or wait to listen in private. As always, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's spirited talk with Santina Giardina Chard. I have a question. Did you create Dance Like a Dickhead? Or <laughs> Where's I seen it? I just watched it. I think they're great. I'll tell you yeah. because my husband like I like I look at the, the morning like thing that I, I post and I get really excited. Like yeah. I am enjoying watching myself do it, right? And he goes, You look like a dickhead. <laughs> you do that to yourself. You don't. Have, you're not even funny, Santina. You look like because I get more joy out of watching you watch you than watching you. Like he was enjoying me getting off watching myself <laughs> than watching me. You know what I mean? Like you look like a dickhead. Who would do that to themselves? You know, <laughs> and so then I went, okay, well, I'm just going to dance like a dickhead and enjoy it. I think it's great. Like, we all dance like dickheads. Do you know anyone that dances well? No, Megan does. <laughs> no, I just do these, I just do these, uh, like, fitness classes where they teach you choreography. And it's so much fun because you watch yourself after and you do realize 
you think in the, like, I think in the moment, like, I'm so cool. I'm a little bit like Beyonce. I'm a little bit like Jennifer Lopez. And then I look at it and I do look like a dickhead. <laughs> I do not look like Beyonce or J-Lo. That's so funny. It's like when you see me, like you've got your earphones in and you sing to Spotify and then you actually hear yourself. You're like, it just sounds so bad. But in the moment, you think you're so good. You're like a child. You know, like a child in the moment thinks they're so wonderful. And then when you look, it's like, that's really like that. That's really shit, Santina. <laughs> but it's not like I do those things because I'm like, that's so much fun. <laughs> well, once I'm not trying to be perfect. You know what? Like, I was thinking about this. Like, I put the challenge out and I haven't that had that many people like, post. And I was thinking about it on my walk yesterday afternoon. It's like people can't let go. People people can't just let go. Like, they can't, like I, I, I messaged one, one gentleman. He said, Santino, I haven't danced like that since I used to take ecstasy. <laughs> like, I can't let go. Like, I can't let go inside. Oh my God, I'll have to work up the nerve. I feel so self-conscious on video. Like even now, I feel self-conscious. Okay, so do you ever put on the music and just feel? Yeah, that's what I do. I I actually do. You know that whole like dance when nobody's looking? That's the only time I dance is when no one's looking. Like that's that I will do. And I can feel it, but... The, I am incredibly self-conscious. Do you know, I put up a post about this and said how self-conscious I, like how long it's taken me to feel comfortable in my body again. Like it does feel like when we're kids, we're totally comfortable. You know, like we're, anything that we do, swing on swing, we don't think about like how to do it right or how to do it wrong. We just do it like our body does it. And we figure out these ways to adapt, you know, jumping and, and swinging. But then we start to become more self-conscious and there become ways of how to and how not to. And, um, and they can become pretty strong. And I will say that even in my yoga practice, a good part of my yoga practice is spent thinking about what I'm doing rather than actually doing what I'm doing. And the editing part is really difficult. It's, it's something that has been conditioned in me, I think, at this point. And so now I think practicing alone, especially this whole year of being completely alone and nobody's eyes on me, I find myself letting my guard down and becoming more comfortable and feeling that way that I used to feel getting little tastes of it. And I put up a post and I said, Gosh, how, when's the last time we felt comfortable in our bodies, you know, and, um, and practice helps, but not doesn't always. And I don't know that. So, and I said, I don't think social media helps at all. Honestly, that's just, you know, that comfortable feeling. And it's not something that it's not something that can be taught, but it's something that can be taken away. I think. Can you choose to feel comfortable? I was little. I think. And um, yeah, I think when I was younger, I also think, honestly, if I was going to be really honest with you, I don't think Ashtanga did great service for my self-expression. And so there's this beautiful thing about our practice that there's a method and it's streamlined and it gives us that repetition and all of that, but there, something gets, something can get stripped away when we take it too literally. Yeah. 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 You know, like I, I have students come in and they're like, I was told to do it this way. What do you think? And I say, I don't think anything. Just fucking feel it. Feel it. Does your, feel, does your foot feel good there? No. Then feel it where it feels like there's something moving in you. Right? When I, can I feel? My back, can I feel my ribs? Can I feel where my neck is? Can I feel my body in this posture rather than someone telling me how to feel that posture? Just feel it. 
Go inside and feel your body rather than what's telling, waiting for someone to tell you what to do and how to feel. You know, you've got to have your foot here and you've got to do this and you've got to point like that and you've got to do this and you've got to... Just feel it. You tell me how it feels. It's your body. You're in there. We just spent an hour talking about a low lunge with back knee on the ground and knee above the ankle or beyond the ankle. Yeah. And so we were discussing in what cases the knee goes beyond the ankle, but really it was deeper than just the knee and ankle and more what feels good in certain bodies and feeling that out. And is there a time and a place for both? Yeah. And I mean, also like today it might apply and it might make complete and utter sense to you. And tomorrow it's like, well, what? not there, <laughs> not happening. Can't do it. Yeah, you know, so things are always shifting and changing. There's not one way. It's just feel it today. Feel what's happening today. Feel what's happening in this moment. I feel like that, back to what you're saying about the letting it go, like let go and feel, that in order to feel it, there has to be, and to let allow it to change moment to moment, there has to be that sort of, or it doesn't have to be, um, but uh, in allowing to feel something, I feel like starts with an openness for and a letting go into, like a feeling that there is an automatic, there's this openness, oh, what does that feel like? And there's this curiosity that allows you to play with that, and it's a curiosity that's open each and every moment. So it allows for that change, allows for that evolution. So the letting go really is quite crucial to that feeling, possibly. Yeah. Isn't it like it's like you've got to, for me, I've got to get my mind out of the way. The mind has to be out of the way. So the letting go comes from feeling the rhythm of me, letting the rhythm of me move me rather than my mind and the thousands of interjects that have been told from every teacher and every everyone that it's just like, okay, well, everyone said that, but there's something inside of me, there's a spirit, there's a there's a flow, there's a spirit, there's a there's an essence inside of me which is moving. And if I can move into that, it will take me. I don't need to think about that. It just takes me. Can I, can I feel? Can I feel where my collarbone is? Can I feel how that connects into my arm? Can I feel how that connects into my elbow? Can I feel? And once I feel, when, once I use my, my awareness, my attention to feel, it does it itself. I don't have to do it. It does it itself. All I have to do is plug in. All I have to do is use the divine operating power that is my mind, but not in a think, not in a cognitive sense, to, 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 to scale in, and it does it. And I don't need a teacher to tell me that. Yeah, you don't do really how to. You don't do those. You don't. At all. Like, okay, so there's my arm. There's my upper arm. It connects into there. When I feel that, that drops everything down. And I don't need a teacher to tell me that. I just feel it. And so if you can tell a student to feel, can you just feel your arm there? Oh, yeah, I can feel my arm. Wow. It does it itself. So your mind gets out of the way and you're just there and then something takes you. (laughs) And like with this challenge that I'm doing with the dancing, it's like can you allow yourself to let go enough to feel your body and let it move?
there's something so beautiful in that for me anyway to just let it move I do think it's beautiful I do think it's beautiful and it doesn't matter what you look like because once like when I see someone's spirit moving outside of their psychology you're captivated you're drawn in because the spirit's moving them not their head I was talking about the experience of flow the other day and it was like when a musician becomes absorbed by the music. They're no longer thinking about the notes that they're playing. They're just, they are it. And then when a dancer who embodies a dance, you know, and they're, they're just, you become absorbed in it. They're so fully in it. There's a joy factor and that's what it is. It's like getting more skillful doesn't make you more joyful, but having more joy can make you more skilled because there's an interest and a motivation and a love and yeah, you know, it's like the Zen archer. The, the Zen archer becomes one with the with the with the with the, with the archery. So the doer and the doer merge, and the rhythm and the spirit takes over. And then there's the love. Then there's the devotion. It's not like you're thinking about it. And you may have had to practice that ten thousand times, but eventually it just comes. And that, that you know, that's what I've loved about COVID. It's just me and me. No fuckers watching, right? Hey, can can we just talk about that? That is exactly what I feel. That is exactly there is something so liberating and freeing and really cool. Like at first it was really discombobulating in some ways. You know what I mean? There's a kind of like, uh, what am I gonna do now? And then I don't know. It's I've learned so much about myself. Do you ever not enjoy your practice? I'm so glad to hear you say that. I'm so glad to see you nod your head yes. Yeah, like for the most part, it's, it's I don't want to touch this. I'm going to start crying. Like, I don't want to experience this. I don't want to have to yield to something. I want to be in control. I want my mind to be in control. That gives me a sense of powerfulness. Whereas I come to the mat, I'm on my fucking knees. I'm on my knees. And I and it's not just physical, it's all of the despondency and all of the um, vagrancies and all of the the uh, Resentments and all of the unfinished memories that that are there. You know, and the, the way I've had to get through in the COVID is do less, really, really so present. So can I do this chaturanga with such attention? <clears throat> That's what that's what's given me continue to have me practice. It's just doing everything less, really well, not perfect, well, like at least so much attention and so much affection, so much affection. It's like an expression of intimacy that comes out when you slow things down and tailor things like, you know, make it smaller or shorter or slower. There's an expression of intimacy that arises from that. And 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 also an experience of, I'm not this. There's something else. There's something else inside of me that's moving me. And the only way I can experience that is through this. So why am I judging this as truth? And so there's that silent power that takes over. It doesn't matter whether you do the whole of third series and half of fourth series. No, I just got through standings and it was such a delight. And it was such a devotion and I feel alive. We're smiling because 
that you're speaking our language. And that is, I think, how we have both really coped with this time. And yeah, it's it's been quite a solace once I once you can wrap your brain around. And then it becomes a very different practice, not an accomplishing practice, but solace and and caretaking and supportive and exactly whatever I have needed. We were talking earlier about context and that without context, nothing has meaning. You must have context. So when we talk about practice, it has to be talked about in the context, you know, in the contextual of what's happening now. And you keep saying how you are today. Yeah, and you know, like for me, that the whole this whole twelve months has been like if, if I've got my pelvis here and I'm moving in a posture, instead of moving in a posture, can I feel? Can I feel the depth of all of this? Can can I feel the profundity of me? That's what gives me meaning. Not how much Trishtana I can do or how many Krandavasanas I can pump out or how many arm balances or how far I can get my leg over my head. What gives me meaning is the profundity of my experience of myself in this flesh and bone. And the more I scale in, the more memory comes up and the more understanding comes up. And the more I let go and I release everything and everyone, then I'm like, wow, in my life that everything has meaning. It's like, You were the only person who got excited about my feet in a post I made. And I was so excited that you got excited because Megan knows it. I have been working on my feet for so long, like stupid. Like you could talk about Karanavasana. You could talk about all this. It's my feet. I'm like, Megan, it's my feet. It's everything is in my feet. I'm like, my, my arches are falling. My feet are weak. Like I can't articulate my, my toes anymore. And like, so I've been working, I would sit and just like, you know that, what's that movie where Uma Thurman is like kill bill. Kill Bill, Uma Thurman's sitting and she's looking at her foot and she's like, move your big toe. <laughs> and that's who I felt like. I am Uma Thurman in Kill Bill. Move your big toe. Anyway, it's true. I'm not making this up, am I, Meg? No. We're spending many times just trying to move our big toe and our big toe only. Well, Miss Peg, when I, when I, um, I just got response because when I saw that, that reels. I wasn't looking at the posture. I was looking at your rhythm of you moving your body beyond your mind. You know, like I could see the spirit moving. It's like, ah, she, she's in that foot. She decided to turn up in that foot. You know what I mean? It's a decision. It's a divine decision to feel. I was thinking about this in my yoga practice that way back 18 years ago, 19 years ago, I remember, this is how much of an impression it makes. I remember practicing doing sun salutation B and going to step my right foot forward. And I used to do like a little shuffle with my feet. I used to point my foot and then bring it forward. And I remember the teacher coming over to me saying, why do you do that? Why do you, why do you, why do you point your foot? Why do you have that, that little, you know, thing that you do? And that thing that I did wasn't a conscious thing that I was doing. It was just simply the way my body moved. I was simply, I don't know, probably felt good. It was a little dance-like, right? You little point your little foot and then step it forward. And it was a little bit of articulation, but I wasn't conscious about it. But then I became self-conscious about it. And then other things like, Um, I took ballet for so many years that my fingers go a certain way. Somebody else saying to me, that's not the way you're, you know, put your fingers together. And it became very stiff. So a lot of the ways that my body naturally moved younger, I learned to 
take those things out, those nuances, flourishes, if you will. You know, the little things that we do that are kind of unique to us. It's a, it's a weird balance in teaching and having teachers is that how much do you say or suggest and how much do you strip of somebody's individuality and ways of movement and how much of the process is just necessary to go through those things, you know, in order, like maybe we need to experience some of the best things I've ever learned didn't come because someone told me they came because probably I messed it up a bunch of times, was trying, was trying. And then one time something lit up like the feet, like, Oh, it's in my feet. And you have this aha moment. And nobody told me that there was <laughs> nobody, nobody's ever criticized my feet besides way back when I was doing something weird, but it was something that a process and it's a long process that, that you go through and there's, there's no time on it. I don't know. It's just, it feels like sometimes with all the how to's and, and, and fixing that we we're stripping people of the best part coming into your feet. Yeah, you know, and I think for, like in, when I teach, one of the best cues I, I, I use is feel. Feel your feet. Feel your ankles. Can you feel? Can you feel your ankles? Can you feel where, where your, your femur bone connects into your, into your hip joint? Can you feel that? Oh my God, I've never felt that. Can you feel that a little bit more? Just feel it because if you feel it, something will happen. And it'll be yours. It'll be from you. From uniquely you. Do you think everybody comes to practice to feel? No, I think a lot of people, I don't, I shouldn't, I won't, but I'm going to say, I think a lot of people come to practice to escape. I know I did. It worked because it helped me escape from it helped me escape a really, really sad, painful life. But then it just became another escape. I think we're get afraid to feel. And and I'm not just talking, you know, I'm talking physically. Um, but I did notice that, I mean, I would say with the pandemic, the it stirred, it's it has stirred like strong feelings in people, rightfully so. I mean, it's been, it's triggering in so many different ways, the loss, the grief, the confusion, the fear, all of it. And yeah, I think to a certain extent coming to practice can be a bit of an escape of feeling. And especially if someone's telling you what to do, then you don't have to, you can just kind of follow what somebody else is saying. And then you don't have to feel your way through. And to a large degree, we could probably get by. A lot of people can get by on on that. So it's almost like we've gotten out of the habit of being able to sit with strong, uncomfortable feelings like confusion, like uncertainty, like grief, like anger. I feel like we have these judgments of ourselves when we feel anger. We're told that anger, especially in a female is not a good trait. But in order to go deeper as to why you're angry or what is the anger masking something? Is it, a, is it because of something else? You have to be able to feel it and go in there. And it's so hard because there are already these self-critiques and self-judgments that, oh no, anger is a bad thing. You don't want to. Especially, I feel like especially as a female because an angry female is something that is, is a no-no. I mean, less so now, but... In order to feel it, you have to say, okay, I'm going to sit with it. I'm angry. Why am I angry? And get curious about it. The other evening, not last night, the night before, I was laying in bed and I watched something had happened earlier with my mother in a phone conversation and I hadn't integrated the fullness of what had transpired between us. And I watched myself in bed doing all these top-level surface criticisms of other things and other people, right? 
thinking that oh, I'm so good and it's such it's it's actually a quite um, it's an ugly process that goes on in my mind on how I criticize and make judgment on other people's on a real top surface level, right? And then I watch that and I'm like, there's something else here. There's something else here. There's something else here. And I laid on the bed and I was already in bed mode. I got have my pajamas on and the light was out. And I just lay there and I, I just scaled in a little bit deeper. And I scaled down a little bit deeper. And I, once I got past all the surface mind and all the criticisms and the judgments of others, I scaled down to a very, very painful experience about a lack of attachment with my mother, which had happened in a phone call four hours before that was here again. And then I busted into tears. Busted into tears for about two minutes, it was over, and then all the criticisms of all the other people dropped away because they weren't it. It was these deeper, real, fundamental core attachment issues with mother and father that were all still there. Now, that's the same as the practice. I think for me, I can skirt along in advanced postures, and they helped me, it got me off the jump. But at some point, you've got to go in. And the more you skirt on the top with more and more advanced postures, it's just the same thing. It's, it's that what I offered you there is like a metaphor for that. It's just this surface level. What you just said about going under, you have to be able to sit with it to find what's underneath. You have to be have a tolerance built up for that. When we say it's about discomfort, you know, being comfortable with discomfort, whatever it is, it's actually just being tolerant, being able to know you're going to be okay, but you got to sit with it, whatever it is, because you, it's not going away from it. You got to get closer to it. You got to go under it and feel it or else you never know what's under there. And I think there's also some more, like, there's more, for me, there's more steps. It's like I had that experience in the bed about my mother and then, of course, there was a phone conversation. Lots happened in between and then I could feel that anger towards her still there, that lack of attachment as a child still there, still there, and watching myself attached to many things to get rid of that feeling. Let me do that series, let me eat more, let me do, just get rid of this feeling, right? And then... She phoned and I didn't answer because I wasn't ready to make contact. Now, if I have to have the vigilance and I have to have the self-care to respond to myself and relate to myself and then bring that into contact with the other to resolve those parts of myself. And the minute I did that, it took a couple of hours once I'd done that, Three or four hours down the track, our conversation was beautifully sweet. So for me, unless I'm doing that, those aspects of inventory in my practice, what's the point? What's the point of doing all these postures? I don't know if I want to admit this. But I'm gonna. I think I only really practice in the morning the asana practice, the physical practice, just just to feel in that moment, just to just to feel my body, just to have it move, just to breathe, just to wake those things up. The sitting with and the more emotional stuff probably comes to me more in my writing, in like journaling and meditation. And I'm just admit, so my practice is actually of just a very physical one, which I think is incredibly important. I mean, I, I think it's, it isn't, I was saying to Megan, I don't even know if I, I want it to become a psychological thing anymore. Like, I don't even know if I want it to be something bigger than that. Cause I have other areas. Like it feels like my yoga practice got bigger and smaller at the same time. You know what I mean? Like I see it in more areas. I get fed and challenged and that awareness is certainly, you know, plugged in, in, in other ways, 
And so what it's done is it's reduced my physical practice to a very physical embodied feeling that I have to start my day with because I need to come from that place, that very visceral sense of I'm here and to feel and to be healthy. You know, I mean, it's part, but it's not necessarily my exercise either because then I have other forms of exercise that I would say are also feed me, it, which is, it's just strange to admit all of this because I think all the while I was kind of thought that the practice was supposed to be everything. And and push you and prod you and and mine doesn't and but I have but my journaling often does like things get revealed by the third page that I didn't know were there, especially through intense times. This is the part where you guys go, you're not doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You practice big. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you practice, you tell us. (laughs) Isn't that funny though? I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the two of you to like, give me some like, yeah, that's good. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) I'm getting emotional, Peg. I feel emotion arising. Because, you know, it's your practice. Megan's practice, Megan's practice, my practice, my practice. I'm the one that has to get up and do it. I'm the one that's with me. I'm the one that is experiencing everything or nothing. It takes guts. You know, like for you to go into unknown places and for you to to actually think for yourself and to have such a level of understanding of the way your mind works, that works, that takes guts. And you're in the wilderness. And now to do that without a level of egoism, that's hard, even harder. To come out of that with the heart of compassion, that's even harder. Did I lose you guys there? Do you know what I mean? Like you can go into the wilderness and come out with a sword and think that you're so fucking powerful or you can come out with the heart of compassion and touch people just through your energy, just through your affection for humans because we're all here and we're all suffering. And everyone's up against themselves all the time in every moment. From myself... I know for myself that any any system that you put yourself in is going to limit you. Doesn't matter whether it's a shaka, doesn't matter whatever system is going to limit you because you can only work within that framework. So for you to be free, you have to be in the desert. And the system, for me, the system offers me an opportunity to get people in to move their body and to start to feel themselves. So then at some point, hopefully, they will make the right choices to be able to start to think for themselves. And they use this framework to do that inventory. Whether they stay in the framework or leave the framework, who knows? But it is a point of contact every morning where you don't have to think about what you need to do. You just come and you can start to feel yourself and start to make meaning of the mystery that you are. 
then you may stay in that system or you may rock climb or you may swim or you may do nothing. But at least you're starting to start to think for yourself. So then you can start to dismantle yourself and come into a more numinous understanding of yourself. And there seems to be some teachers who are still on some level teaching the method and when you go there, you still still feel a sense of freedom. Not completely free, but you feel free enough to be you because of the depth of their own inner work and their own extrapolation of something inside of them. When you're with them, that transmission comes and you feel safe to do your own work. Something something in in their work, you, you, you let go of it and you're like, it's all right, it's going to be all right, I can do this. I can do this work for myself. Whether I stay in the shunga or not, it doesn't matter because I've still got to do that work. I can do it on the side of a mountain or I can do it at the bottom of the sea or I can do it having a baby or I can do it anywhere. I could eat, do it eating my morning toast. Doesn't have to, I don't have to put the, my leg behind my head to do that work. And somehow, this is the paradox for me, somehow the system works. And not. Fucking hell. It's like, why am I still doing it if it doesn't work? I question that myself every day. If Santina, if there's a part of you that believes that it doesn't work, why do you still do it? I don't know, but I'm still doing it. <laughs> so my husband's like, why the fuck are you doing it? You hate it so much. Yeah, you go over there and spend two hours every morning busting your ass doing it and you come back either really happy or really angry. So tell me, who's a dickhead now? You're the fucking dickhead, Santina. I have to ask, how did you and Shane meet? Oh, what a story. Oh, we, I can tell you offline. Well, without me going into how we met, let me tell you this. The reason why everyone, outside of two couples that we, when we first met that are still together, everyone else is broken up. And you know why we're still together? Because my husband doesn't put any limits on me. You're a dickhead. I still love you. You want to do a shunga? Fucking do it. You want to be a heroin addict? Be a heroin addict. I still love you. He never puts limits on me. He's like, come on, come in. It's all right. Just sit there. You're going to be all right. Cry. I'm going to cry, cry. I'm going to eat that, eat that. But you're a dickhead. You're going to have to pay the consequences, but I'm not limiting you. So there's like a complete and utter acceptance. We're free. I'm free to be me. He's free to be him. If there's conflict... We talk because we we still fight. We still fight. There's always conflict, but I, but but there's an unconditional appreciation for each other. That took a long time, but it was there as a fundamental aspect. What do you think you brought to him when he met you? What do you think he would say? Like you just said about him, he gives you that unconditional. He's right there. He doesn't put limits on you. If he, what do you think he would say that you? Bring to him. I bring the fire. Right? I I bring the fire to the relationship. Because when I met him, he was in a dark place. When he met me, I was in a dark place. But I've got a lot of fire. Yeah, I just, I, I wake him up. Because he can get lazy. So I, I wake him up. But, you know, like if I look at that as a theme for my life, that's been a theme of my life since I was a child. I wake everyone up. And it's not necessarily harmonious in the way that I do it. But so there's, 
the, the, the theme of it is wake the fuck up. This is not okay. You're a disruptor. Like the disrupting stops you from sleeping. It's like the disrupt. They, we always think of disruption as something bad, but the disruptor stops the patterned, habitual, unconscious. We were talking about the elements in our last course and fire. Fire is the motivator. Fire is the illuminator. Put a fire under someone's butt, light them up, bring the heat. It makes you feel alive. And it's the destroyer. It's the clearer. And it brings in the light. Like it, the, the, the light of the fire brings and shines very clearly, like, you know, through many aspects of my life. It's like, okay, this is the way my family does contact. I'm not doing contact like that. I'm doing contact like this. Wake up. We're not doing contact like that. We're doing contact like this. This is contact. We're in contact. Then once we're in contact, then we can negotiate because you're sleeping. That doesn't mean it's necessarily the best way or a good way, but it's the way that I do it. And I think that's a lot a way a lot of really, really powerful women do it. I think you're right. Then once you wake up, okay, now there's room for some tenderness. I'd say that it's not, you said it's a way of powerful women, a typical way. And, but I don't think it's a typical way for women in general at all. I think it's quite the opposite. And has it always been met? Have you always felt comfortable in being that? I don't think I've known any other way. It's like, okay, we're doing contact. We're, we're, this is in my, in my family. We do contact through food. Right, not fucking eating. So we don't talk in our family? No worries. I'm just going to be a heroin addict. Cop that. Okay, we do or we try and make lots of money to be someone. Not doing that, I'm gonna be a yoga teacher. Cop that one. Cop this. Bang. And everyone woke up. Oh, what just happened? She's gonna die. Wow. We better make contact. The way you're describing it is pretty systemic. It's saying that your behavior is symptomatic of family, like the whole system. Like you became the symptom. Your behavior was not just about you, but it disrupted the system. Just beautiful, Peg. It's amazing how these gestalts come together. You start here. You have a sensation, you mobilize your energy, your action, and then it all comes together. Well, now I'm starting to understand the dancing thing. It's all coming together now for me. You just became the disruptor. Like you're going to dance like a dickhead in a system that doesn't like you to do freedom of expression. It's like fucking wake up. It's not that serious. It's not that important. Yes, it can heal your life. Yes, it's an amazing tool. Yes, yes, all these awesome things. And where are you in it? Where are you in it? I think we all have themes in our lives and we do bring gifts. And I do think yours is the gift of fire. I think that is something I feel it over Zoom, 
I mean, I feel it all the time when I'm talking to you, but I mean, it really is. You're an infusion of motivation, inspiration, enthusiasm, courage, um, vigor. It's a, you, that's why I asked you about Shane, because you bring it to your relationships. You bring it to your practice. You bring it to your teaching. You bring it to Instagram. And it's, it's a gift. Thank you, Peg. But Peg, the thing is, is that everyone has this capacity. Everyone has this divine operating capacity to do this work. You have to just be willing, not willpower. You have to be willing. Now, to do that, it means you have to let go. Now, I know that's a word that's banded around, but you have to have the willingness to forget everything about yourself and start again. That's why if you do a dickhead dance, that might help. If you do a dickhead dance and let go of it, you might just find something else. Go, mate. Just like breathe this shit up a bit. So good. <laughs> the best podcast I have ever been on. I didn't even think about my social anxiety. Yeah, it was really fun. This was really, really fun. Thank you, Santina. Thank you. And thank you for listening and subscribing to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to receive your podcasts. Don't forget to visit ashtangadispatch.com for links and notes pertaining to today's show with Santina. Plus, while you're there, make sure you're on our email list to receive our full moon musings where each month we explore various elements of nature and practice. The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Peg Mulqueen, along with Megan Powell. Music is by Mark Pilly. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>